you would take your Bibles to John chapter 16, John chapter 16, Jesus is continuing his instruction to his disciples and he is preparing them again for his departure. And in chapter 16 in verse 1, he, he makes his desire clear. He says that he does not want them to be offended. The word there is the verb form of the word scandal. It has the idea of to stumble or, or to be tripped up. And so he wants them to be aware of what's coming in their future, what's going to happen to them as they serve him as he leaves. They're going to face persecution. And many of these particular men that are there in his presence, they are going to give their life as martyrs for, for their faith. But he did not want the persecution to cause them to stop serving him, to stop um, living for him, to stop witnessing for him. And really, we should count it uh, as a privilege to suffer for the cause of, of Christ. Again, he tells them in, in verse number three why this persecution is, is going to come. In chapter 15, he told them that there, there's going to be hatred from the world and persecution from the world. In chapter 16, he, he's talking about uh, the persecution that's going to come from the religious people, the religious leaders, those that claim to, to love God. But in verse 3, he says, And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. And so they don't know Jesus, they don't know God, and so they hate him, and so they're going to hate his, his followers. And unfortunately, the same is true in our day. There, are going to, there is going to be persecution from the world, but often there's going to be persecution from even, even within the church. And the sad reality is there are preachers that present the Christian life as just a constant blessing, a constant party, a, a constant just time of peace and contentment, and, and just everything is going to be great but that is totally contrary to what the scripture tells us. When we get saved and we start to live for God, troubles are going to come, persecution is going to come, and what God wants is that we stay faithful in those moments and not allow the troubles to keep us from being faithful to him. We'll have trials and we will fail in our own life and we'll have persecution and this persecution will come from the world and, as I mentioned, from the church. But we must stay faithful. Unfortunately, people in the church will, will hurt us. I've seen it over and over again. People stop going to church, and when you go and visit them and ask, why aren't you coming to church? Well, so-and-so said this, and so-and-so did this, and, and this happened to me. And, and listen, I want to tell you right now, we serve a holy, perfect, infinite God, but we serve amongst frail fragile, finite people. And we are going to hurt each other despite our best efforts. There's going to be these, these struggles and trials, but we can't allow any of these things to keep us from being faithful to God. And so Jesus is preparing the, these men for when his, and his followers, excuse me, when he's going to leave. And he tells them in this passage, I'm going to send the comforter. Now, in, in John chapter 14 and verse 26, Jesus had already started to teach them about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Comforter, when he tells them, this Comforter is the Holy Spirit. And I want you to understand, when I leave, he is going to come. And so today, we're going to begin looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit as given us from Jesus himself. Father, thank you for your word today. 
And I know, Lord, that life is hard, and there's probably people sitting in here, people listening to this online, Lord, that are going through some difficulties and trials. Lord, some have been hurt by other believers, and some have been hurt by religious leaders, and some have been hurt, uh, Lord, by the world. And Lord, I pray that we won't allow these circumstances here in this world, Lord, to hinder our walk with you and our faithful service to you. Lord, challenge our hearts. And Lord, if somebody is here today that has never accepted Christ as their Savior, may today be that day in their life, Lord. And we thank you for the work that you're going to do in our lives today through your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first thing we come to chapters one, or chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, uh, I, I want you to see the problem with religion. The problem with religion. He says, These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. They, speaking of religious leaders, shall put you out of the synagogue. Yea, that time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. So Jesus starts off by bringing, taking their attention from the, the, the persecution that's going to come from the world. And listen, that's happening in our society today. I mean, if you stand for God and you stand for truth and you stand for righteousness, you're going to be mocked and you're going to be persecuted for your faith. Can I challenge you with this? Stay faithful to God. But he transitions now and he, he brings their attention to the persecution that's going to come from within the religious circles of, of their day. And, and, he, and, and here's the problem with religion this morning. And, and really, this statement sums it up. There is no grace. Th that truly is the problem with religion in our world today. There is no grace. You see, the issue is religion, as we see it in our society today, is man-centered and works-based. Religion is man-centered and works-based. And so what happens is that the works that we do become the priority of our life and our identity in Christ. Instead, or with God, instead of a relationship with Christ, we base everything off of our works and what, and what we do. And so grace is removed. Now, we become at times judgmental when there is, is no grace that is offered or we're not centered in grace. Now, now I, I believe there is, there is a place for judgment in the world, e even by people. Now, I know that in our society, in the world, their favorite verses are, you know, judge not that ye be not judged, and you that have no sin, you cast the first stone. And, and, and the world likes to run and claim those verses when they're being judged. But we read in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 through 13, Paul writes, But now have I written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or a covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such as, and one, um, excuse me, he goes on to say, not to eat. For what have I to judge them also that are without? Do, ye, do not ye judge them that are within? 
But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, he says, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. And so the idea there is, listen, you have to call out wickedness and sinfulness among you. There is a place for judgment. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 8, reprove not a scorner. But he goes on to say, lest he hate thee, rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. And so the, the picture there is, if somebody is wise, you're to judge their sinfulness and rebuke them, and they will actually love you. So there's an idea in the scriptures that we are to be judging. But the biblical model of judgment is always filled with grace. And that's why we read in Galatians chapter 6 that you which are spiritual, when a brother or a sister is overtaken in a fault or they find themselves in a transgression, you which are spiritual, the goal is to restore such a one. That's the problem with a skewed view of um, church discipline today. Many people believe church discipline, the goal is to, to kick people out, to, to punish them, to make them pay for their sins. But the reality is Jesus has paid for their sins. Our responsibility and our goal is to restore them back to fellowship. And so the ultimate end is if they repent of their sin and they turn back to God, we're not supposed to hold it against them and remind them of that and belittle them and put some punishment and there's some payment that they have to pay. The, the goal is to restore them back to right fellowship within the body of Christ. But if they are unwilling then to repent, then the end result unfortunately would be to dismiss them from our membership. But the goal is always grace. The goal is always restoration. Many believe that this discipline is to be painful and, and that cannot be farther from the truth. The goal is always repentance. The goal is always forgiveness. So-called spiritual people believe that when they're exacting punishment, then they are doing the will of God. And this is what we see here. What did Jesus say? They'll kick you out of the synagogue. They'll kill you. And they're claiming to do God's will. You know, Paul is the great example of this. In Galatians chapter uh, 1, he writes, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly, get this word, zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Paul says, I was so zealous, I was so religious that I persecuted those that were believers and tried to stop the church of Christ. Philippians chapter 3, he says very much the same thing. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. And he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteous, uh, the righteousness which is in the law blameless. Paul says, listen, none of you are as religious as I am. I mean, none of you grew up the way that I grew up. None of you have the pedigree that I have when it comes to religion. None of you have had the zeal that I've had. And then he goes on in Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26, when he's given his testimony, he talks about his zeal for the Lord, his zeal for God in persecuting the church. But his life and thinking was changed when he met the Lord on the road to Damascus and got gloriously saved. And what happened? Grace entered into the equation. You see, these people here, they don't know God, and they don't know his, his will. 
when we read through Scripture, we see very clearly God's will is forgiveness. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's desire is that people would be saved. His desire then is that they would grow spiritually and, and, and go through the process of discipleship. His goal is always grace. And so when these things happen to you, the persecution that comes from without, the persecution that comes from within the church, even those that claim to know God, even those that claim to love God, maybe it's even from believers that, that believe they're doing right. Don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged and, and, and walk away from the church and, and from your Bible and from serving God. When people in the church treat you this way, don't quit. Stay faithful to God. But here's the problem with religion. There's no grace. You know, sometimes we, you know, I'm a, I'm a fighting fundamentalist. People like to say those terms. You know, if that is your mindset, then you've missed the biblical understanding of Scripture, uh, of God's grace. Hey, listen, there's times when we're to stand up for truth. And there's time when we're to stand up for righteousness. The Bible talks a lot about standing firm and standing your ground and being faithful to God. There's a difference in, in standing for God and for the cause of Christ and then being a fighter and a brawler. You know, the Bible talks about pastors should not be brawlers, and, and that should not be my personality or my characteristic. But yet so many believe in, in, in their walk with God. They're, they're, they're going to fight, and I'm going to fight for righteousness and for truth and all that. And what happens is we totally disregard the concept of grace, and the grace of God is removed. And, and we're, we're so busy fighting. We don't care about the, the needs of others or, or the walk of others with the Lord. All we want to do is get our point across and make sure that we're, we're standing for truth and people know we're standing for righteousness. And I would be willing to say, in that moment, you don't know God. Yeah, you might be a believer, but you, you don't know what God wants in that situation. God wants you to stand for truth and righteousness, but he wants you to help those people come to understand and experience his grace and receive the grace of God in their life. We can quickly go back to our religion, and then the problem becomes it's centered, it's centered on us and what we want and what we expect and what we think should happen in those moments instead of what, what God wants. We have to be very careful on that line and that we don't cross that line between a relationship with Jesus Christ and living according to his word and religion of men. We see the, the problem here. Jesus says, these religious people, listen, they think they know God, they think they're doing it God's way, and, and they're going to kill you, and they're going to persecute you. My friend, don't get discouraged in those moments. Listen, that's why you can't trust in men. The tragic truth is, is we, we go far the other, the other way where you know, people look to pastors and religious leaders and then those men fall into, into their sinfulness and, and they break God's law and, and they're removed from the ministry. And, and what happens? We get discouraged in those moments too. Listen, we can't put our faith in men and trust in men because oftentimes they're going to disappoint us. Realize that we serve God and God alone. The second thing we see in, in beginning in verse number five through verse seven is the necessity of Jesus' departure. He tells them here, but now I go my way to him that sent me and none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient or necessary, beneficial for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. Can I tell you, stop right here and tell you this, God's plan is better than your plan. God's plan is better than my plan. Hey, here's the situation. They would have Jesus to stay with them and, and set up his kingdom. And so he tells us here in these next verses that sorrow filled their heart. They were grieved over the fact that Jesus was telling them, I'm going to leave and I'm going to send the comforter. They wanted him to, to be there, but this sorrow consumed and, and filled their, their life. You know, it's easy to try and, and plan out our life so that we have no um, struggles and no griefs and to minimize the difficulties of life. And, and sometimes it's God's will for us to go through these things. And, and he's going to allow us to go through these things, maybe for our own benefit, maybe for the benefit of others, but we know they're going to, they're going to come. And listen, I'd rather be going through a, a difficult circumstance and difficult trial knowing that I'm in the will of God, then living apart from God and his word and his will and just living it up here in this world and having just the, the, the greatest time in this life. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm leaving. And they're saying, we want you to, to stay, but he understands the plan of God. And sometimes, listen, they did not know the whole plan. He has been teaching them and they didn't understand it. They didn't know what was going to happen in the future. And, but So they want him to stay there in their presence. And so Jesus tells them, it's better for you to go because I'm fulfilling God's plan. Well, what is God's plan? Jesus is going to go to the cross. They needed Christ to die to be the substitutionary atonement or the payment for their sin. This was God's plan. Remember, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to not be served, but to minister. And the greatest way that he was going to minister and serve was by going to the cross. And he tells them, it's better for you if I go because he's going to die for their sin. But then he gives them the promise. He promises there to send them the comforter. He's not going to leave, leave us alone. He's not going to leave us by ourselves to just twist hair in the wind. He says, listen, guys, it's better for you. And see, Jesus's plan was to depart. Their plan was totally different. You know, sometimes we're going down the road and we have a plan and we have a purpose and we have an idea and God puts, puts a big turn or a twist in our life. And we're thinking, God, wh where is this coming from? Why is, why is this happening? And it's not our place to be discouraged or offended, to stumble, to stop serving God because our plan didn't go the way that we thought it should be. Let's be honest. Everybody in this room is somewhere where they never thought they would be, doing something they never thought they'd be doing, some area in their life. Maybe you're doing the career that you thought, but something has happened in your life that you never would have expected, and maybe there's some things that we would never have chosen, but yet God has chosen to do that in your life. Some of us have lost loved ones at a young age. Some of us uh, have health issues and different things that we never would have expected. Some maybe it's, it's a financial thing. Like we plan and we do things and our finances aren't where we thought. But there, there's all kinds of things like that. Sometimes it's people that love us and where we love and, and, and they kind of turn against us. We never would have expected that. Those things happen to all of us. It's a part of our life as we're going through, the line, through life. And listen, God's plan is better, better than our plans. And it always will be that way. 
And so Jesus is telling them, listen, I'm working out God's plan, and it's needful for you that I leave, that I go, that I go to the cross. And he tells them here in these verses, listen, it's going to come a time when you realize and um, when you understand what I've told you. And we'll come back to that thought here in just a moment. And so then he introduces us to the comforter in verses 8 through 15. He tells us, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they have not known, because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, he, for that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you." The Comforter is going to come, and in his name, that very name, Comforter, um, it's the idea that he's going to come alongside of to, to comfort and to help and, and to strengthen you. When we get saved, the Spirit of God comes to, to dwell within us. Romans chapter 8, I believe it's verse 9, tells us that if we have not the Spirit, then we are not His. When we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we become the temple of God and he come, the Spirit comes to dwell within us. And so that's what Jesus is teaching them. The Comforter is going to, to come and, and then he lays out his work. And notice what he says there. When he comes, he's going to reprove or convict the world. He's going to convict the world, first of all, of, of sin. I want you to notice when he says that there in verse number 8 and verse number 9, that that word sin is, is singular. He, he's not coming to, to convict the world of their drunkenness and their immorality and, and, and all of the sinfulness that's going on in this world. What he's going to do is he's going to come to bring conviction on the lost in regard, of, of their need, or in regard to their need of a Savior. He's going to convict to show the world that they need a Savior. Notice verse 9, because they have not believed on me. They have not believed on me. And so one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is that he convicts people of, of sin. You know, I learned a long time ago in my ministry, I had people ask me, is it worth it to pass out tracts? Is it worth it to go door to door? Is it worth, to do, worth it to do highways and hedges? Is it worth it to, to preach the gospel? Is it worth it? And listen, one thing I learned a long time ago, it's not my responsibility to convict people of sin. My job as a believer in Jesus Christ is to go and preach the gospel. My job is to go and share the gospel. Romans chapter 10, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Jesus tells his disciples to go and preach the gospel to every creature. You see, the spirit of God uses the word of God to convict people of their sin and their need of a savior. So my responsibility is to go and preach the word of God. The spirit of God, the spirit of God convicts people of sin. So I can tell you today with full assurance, it's more than worth it. It's more than worth it because the Spirit is still working in our society today and convicting people of their, of their sinfulness. He goes on to say he's here to convict them of, 
of righteousness there in verse number eight and then verse number 10 of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Can I tell you today, Jesus is the standard of righteousness and these guys, they had watched him. They had lived with him. They, they see him day by day living the perfect life, living righteously. But now he is going to go back to be with the Father. And so we have the, his word. This war, in this world, the Spirit comes to use the word of God to help us understand how to live righteously. This is also a proof of the righteous standard that he is because he's going back to the, the Father. Now, I want to stop right here and be very clear. Your righteousness is never going to get you to heaven. Your righteousness is never going to make you right with God. But it's Christ's righteousness in you that makes you right with God. And so, again, we're being pointed to the fact that Jesus is the righteous standard. Nothing that you do is going to earn favor with God. But Jesus is the righteous standard. And so because he is righteous and perfect, he can go back to be with God. So when I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, Christ's righteousness is placed in me and on my account. So when I stand before God, he doesn't, he's not going to say, hey, Daniel, man, you've, you've been a good person. You preached a lot of sermons. You're a pretty righteous guy. Why don't you come into heaven? No, the truth is he's going to see Christ's righteousness in me. Because my righteousness, even after I'm saved, is as filthy rags before God. And so he convicts them of righteousness, convicts us of righteousness. Jesus is the only righteous standard. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is, righteousness which is of God by faith. And so Jesus says the Spirit's going to come and he's going to convict of sin. The fact that you need a Savior, that you are sinful. He's going to convict of righteousness. He's going to show you that I am the standard and, and help you live and grow according to that standard. And then he says of judgment. Of judgment. There in verse number 8 and then going down to verse number 11. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now apart from Christ... Apart from Christ, the Bible tells us you are of your father, the devil. You are part of his family. You are part of his kingdom. And he will be judged. And all those that are in him, all those that are apart from Christ, are in the devil. You say, well, I didn't choose that. Yes, you did when you chose to sin against God. And you're a part of that family. But yet God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die to be the payment for your sin so that you can have forgiveness of sin and be removed from his, the devil's kingdom and his family and placed into the family of God. And so he comes to convict. Listen, apart from Christ, you will be judged just like the devil will be judged. You know, it's funny. The devil has, a, uh, for all intents and purposes, it's probably less in our world today, but throughout history, the devil has this bad connotation. When you think about him, what do you think about? You think about evil, right? The little red guy with the pitchfork and all that stuff. That's not the picture in the Bible, but that's kind of what we think. We think about evil, and anytime that we think of wickedness, we think of things that are satanic, or demonic. And that's the category. Now our world's kind of moved away from that tragically uh, in our world today. And you know, we would, we would believe that, man, the devil should be judged because he's contrary to God. In our sin, we're in that same place. We're the enemy of God. We're contrary to God. 
And so he says that the Spirit is going to come and he's going to convict you of your sin and of righteousness and of judgment, relating the fact that we are going to be judged. The second thing he's going to do, Jesus tells us here, as we finish up, he says he guides the believer. Verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whoso, well, whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. You know, there are things that Christ wanted them to learn, but now was not the time in their life. Have you ever been in a situation where you were just, I mean, just bombarded with information? Like information that you're supposed to, supposed to know and like just like a, taking it out of a, a, you know, a fire hydrant. It's just being poured into you and, and you know, it's just bits and pieces. You, you, don't, you can't handle it all. You don't understand it all. Uh, maybe you found yourself in that place. You know, the Christian life is a process of sanctification. When we get saved, we start going through this process of sanctification. And the Holy Spirit is the one that guides us. And so God uses him to teach us, to help us in this sanctification process. And he does this, you know, through the word of God. You've heard me say it often. The spirit of God uses the word of God and the children of God. And so he uses this word to help us in this discipleship process. So Jesus says he's going to guide you unto all truth. You know, when you got saved, we've had, you know, 10 or so people saved over the last couple of weeks. You know, there's a lot of things they don't know about the Bible. There's a lot of things they don't know about, what it means about living the Christian life and, and all of those type of things. And listen, there's still a lot of things I don't understand and know, and I'm still growing in my walk with the Lord and, and being conformed into the image of Christ. And so he guides the believer as he goes through this process, helping us to understand. And so maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, man, there's just so many things I struggle with and these other people seem to have it all together. And listen, they don't, I'll just be honest with you. But listen, there, there's so much I don't know. Hey, listen, that's okay. And the Spirit wants to guide you, and, and so just walk with Him. And that's why it's so important to go back to the beginning of this passage when Jesus says, I don't want you to be offended. Hey, listen, if you quit going to church, guess what? You're going to stunt your spiritual growth. If you quit reading your Bible, you're not, you're not going to grow spiritually. The Spirit's not going to have anything to use in your life to teach you and to guide you into. That's why it's so important we don't get offended. We don't stumble. We don't turn away from the things of God, no matter what happens in this life. And we stay faithful. Because the Spirit is going to continue to use these things in our life to help us grow. And then the third thing he says is he glorifies the Son, verse 14. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Everything about the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son. He convicts the world of their need to repent and there's of their sin and place their faith in who? In Jesus Christ. He helps the believer grow and be conformed into the image of who? Into the image of Jesus Christ. You know, during this world, we're going to have tribulations. But in the midst of this tribulations, in the midst of the trial, Jesus says, I'm sending the comforter. You know, I love having friends. I love being around people that are, that are encouraging. Everybody does. Nobody likes, you know, even the people that say, you know, I just, I just like being alone. I'm independent. No, you're not. You're, you're lying to yourself. Everybody likes to have people with them. Listen, the saying is true. Misery loves company. All right. If I want to be miserable, I want you to be miserable with me. Right. But the reality is, is when you're going through these things with others, it helps. 
That's why God says that we're to, to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. Because it's easier when you're going through the weeping and the trials, and it's even more joyful when you have other people to rejoice with you. God has made us that way. We like for, to have people with us to go through the difficulties. And it's, and it's always easier in those times when we have people that care about us and love us. And so Jesus says, guys, listen, as you go through this life, and you're, uh, you're going to have trials and tribulations. The world's going to hate you. Religious leaders are going to hate you. And unfortunately, even believers in Jesus Christ might hurt you. But I'm going to send the comforter, the one that's going to come alongside of you. And he's going to walk with you. And he's going to strengthen you. And he's going to help you in your walk with me and in your life here in this world. So stay faithful. Stay faithful to me. One of the great blessings of living the Christian life is that we're, we're never alone. We're never alone. No matter where we are, no matter what we find ourselves going through, he is always there with us. And that right there should be and needs to be enough to keep us faithful to God. If you're trusting in men, they're going to fail you. If you're trusting in institutions, they're going to fail you. If you're trusting in policies and procedures, listen, they're all going to fail you. But he never will. So stay faithful to God. Stay faithful to him, knowing that the comforter is there to help us. You know, we just heard that song, In the Presence of Jehovah. Isn't it amazing to know that no matter where we are, what we're going through, we're in the presence of God, and he's there with us because he sent his comforter to walk with us, to help us, to guide us, to strengthen us? There's nothing in this world I can think of. I can't imagine not serving God. I can't imagine anything to keep me from church, keep me from witnessing and sharing the gospel with other people. I mean, God has done so much for us, and he's given us so much. Nothing should be able to cause us to say, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to tell other people about Christ. Listen, when we read the Bible and we read about who Christ is and who the Holy Spirit is and what they're doing in our life even today, that should say, I'm going to serve them more. Hey, despite my, you know, the antagonists and despite my detractors and the people that are against me, I'm just going to serve them more. When the world persecutes them, hey, praise the Lord, I get to suffer for the cause of Christ. I, I'm, you know what it's going to cause me to do? I'm going to be more faithful. I'm going to be more faithful and serve him. And may we always be a church that stays faithful to the God and to his word and to his ministry.